Trump's been indicted. Trump's been indicted. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize Logic was recording here already. Uh, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web, and sometimes Trump. No, just kidding. We won't talk about that here today. Uh, But yes, I'm very, very excited to start to see some real accountability at last. Uh, But anyway, this is episode 93. Leave your comments down below. And I'm your host, Jared White, here to uh, do something I've done sometimes in the past, uh, but not with too much frequency, uh, which is essentially record an entire episode where I do nothing but comment on my own links that I've posted elsewhere, uh, articles, commentary, whatever. Uh, I'm here to expound upon a few different topics here. Uh, yeah, I think it'll, th- think it'll be fun fun little journey. So let's get started. All right, the first item of note here is happy birthday iPad. (laughs) Yeah, the iPad has turned 13. And uh, I posted on my blog a uh, comment on a link to my first impressions on site in Santa Rosa, California, which was then my place of residence. Uh, I, I waited in line along with other folks to pick up my first iPad and then wrote about it. So, uh, so you can read, read my initial thoughts on the iPad after having just used it. Uh, and then I go on to, uh, add some context today, uh, around, uh, kind of, kind of my journey with the iPad, but also sort of the journey the industry has taken with tablets. I think we have a bit of a mixed bag here in terms of what tablets have done for computing. Uh, you know, to, to, to a certain degree, you could say the tablet has not been the game changer many people thought it could be. Um, we kind of still live in a world where there are PCs, quote unquote, uh, you know, that includes Macs, of course, but, you know, Windows computers, Linux computers, Macintoshes. We still live in that world. And then, of course, we also live in the world of the smartphone, which uh, certainly uh, got a huge sort of revolutionary moment with the initial launch of the iPhone. Uh, the iPad could have been a similar revolutionary moment to the iPhone. Um, some people thought it would be. Uh, I certainly did, um, but that never really happened, right? The iPad has always been in this sort of strange middle ground between the juggernaut that is the iPhone and the world of PCs. And the weird thing about the tablet market is that the iPad is it, really. (laughs) Uh, I mean... You could say there's just an iPad market because, you know, tablets as a phenomenon just really aren't a thing apart from the iPad. Um, Perhaps the most uh, 
sort of clarity and interesting, one could argue, innovation around tablets of late, apart from the iPad, uh, has been Microsoft's Surface line. I think they've done a lot with the Surface over the last number of years. And you could even argue that some of the some of the advances the Surface line made kind of uh, prodded Apple to uh, advance things. Uh, certainly with the iPad Pro, um, it, we kind of we kind of live in an iPad world, and even then, uh, it's just never quite become a thing the way that smartphones are a thing and PCs are a thing. Um, nevertheless. I think the iPad is a very successful product, and I personally love the iPad. I love my iPad Pro. I use it every day. I'm looking at it right now to sort of help me uh, organize my show notes and to read through things. Um, in in the article, I actually talk uh, mostly about um, kind of why I was initially so excited about the iPad which was because um, many, many years prior, essentially right around the, the 2000s, the, the, the dawn of the millennium, um, I was expecting tablets to come from B and the BIA line of devices. Uh, in case you're not aware, B was a company that had been trying to market its BOS to run on PCs and was having a hard time getting any traction because of how entrenched Microsoft Windows was at that time. You know, they're they're between the rock of Windows and the hard place of the Mac, and were unsuccessful in really carving out a successful niche for uh, a BOS. So they pivoted and tried to market BIA as this operating system that could run on internet appliances. <laughs> yes, that was the thing. Uh, I, I remember reading articles about the, the market of internet appliances was going to explode soon and all this stuff. But yeah, so B tried to ride that hype train. And, um, and one of the most interesting things that they showed off in prototype form was a tablet, a BIA tablet. Uh, and they were starting to partner with potential hardware manufacturers to release real tablets. I was so excited about this idea. Uh, you know, they promised touch screens, wireless connectivity, of course, uh, and just all this really cool stuff that, you know, we now take for granted. But back then it seemed so cool and futuristic. Um, so I was really, really sad when that all imploded and B pretty much folded and all that stuff stopped. Uh, Microsoft's tablets at the time were terrible. It was all just really janky, bad hardware running a bad version of Windows that was focused around using the stylus. <laughs> it was just so bad. Um, so when the rumors came that Apple was working on its own tablet, um, you know, of course, most people assume that would be a Mac-based tablet. It would be a Mac OS tablet of some kind. Um, but once the iPhone came out, it, it really prompted folks to rethink that and and wonder if maybe the first Apple tablet would be a blown up iPhone versus a shrunk down, you know, touch or stylus based Mac thing. Um, and that's, of course, what Apple did. In fact, the iPad actually came first. Apple started developing a tablet uh, with multi-touch technology first and then decided to shrink that down to phone size in order to bring the iPhone to market and launch that device first, which 
really seems like the right call now <laughs> in hindsight. Like that was totally the right call to do that. You know, everyone was just screaming for an Apple phone. You know, people were calling the iPhone the Jesus phone because there was just such a pent up demand for this revolutionary phone type device from Apple and everyone wanted it and everyone, you know, once they saw it, they really wanted it. Um, so, you know, that was clearly the hit product of hit products. Um, but the iPad was really cool, too. And people forget now that the iPad was selling like hotcakes right out of the gate. Uh, in fact, that was almost the iPad's downfall, which was like so many people got so many iPads in those first few years. And then, you know, it was good enough for its purpose that people just kept them. Just, you know, they would just use the same iPad for years. Heck, there's still iPads floating around in my household that are many years old now, many, many years old. And it just iPads are so reliable and they just work. And it's, you know, it's both a good and bad thing about the product in terms of, you know, looking at iPad sales and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a real it was a real uh, big deal to have. Apple come out with uh, a multi-touch tablet that was, um, you know, really portable, not too heavy, looked great, um, you know, and and ran a bunch of software that, uh, you know, folks were developing for the iPhone first, being able to bring those over to the tablet interface, uh, I think was, was really a winning strategy. And again, people don't give Apple credit for this often enough. Uh, I don't think a scaled down Mac tablet would have been anywhere as successful as a scaled-up iPhone-type tablet. I really think Apple did the right thing there, and even to this day, I will argue in favor of keeping iPad OS, you know, f- firmly in the space of, you know, pulling things over from the iPhone, and you know, of course, increasingly pulling things over from the Mac as well, and making it its own thing. I don't want an iPad that runs Mac OS. I don't want a touchscreen macOS tablet. I don't. I don't think that's the right direction. I do think iPadOS should become more capable and more powerful. And I'd really, really like a Unix-style terminal, folks. <laughs> I really would like some, some, some more of those developer tools to be available uh, on iPadOS. Um, but I don't think Apple should create a Mac tablet and, you know turn iPadOS into a, you know, sort of variant of Mac OS is, you know, certainly plenty of people have argued. I don't agree with that line of thinking at all. But anyway, uh, it's interesting to reflect on the last 13 years of tablet computing with the iPad. And uh, it's certainly interesting to speculate where the iPad could go next. On to my next link here. I wrote on the blog an article called The Dream of a Better Metaverse, in which I say that folks may think I'm a technology skeptic or something like that because of how often I post about uh, my my beef with generative AI and Web3 before that and all the crypto stuff and uh, I not very uh, bullish on the VC-fueled startup landscape in general and have a lot of complaints with big tech these days and big social. Anyway, the list goes on and on, right? (laughs) So, you know, with all of these things and talking about ethics and this and that, people might just think I'm, I'm just flat out a tech skeptic. I'm just flat out like 
in this camp of people that just think, you know, ah, the internet sucks. Technology sucks. It's all garbage. Oh man, what a world. Like, (laughs) nothing could be farther from the truth. I am not a technology skeptic. I'm a bad technology skeptic. And that's a direct quote from the article. Um, You know, again, to quote from the article, if I think a technology is fundamentally poor and ill thought out, destined to maybe benefit a select few at the expense of the many, I'm going to call it as I see it. And we've had a bucket load of bad technology hype cycles lately. But one major technology I'm actually extremely bullish on, one that I think does have tremendous potential, is the concept of the metaverse. So yeah, I'm I'm actually really, really excited about uh, possible upcoming metaverse technology. And I don't mean anything being built by Meta. <laughs> Meta has tried to <laughs> co-opt the language of the metaverse. Uh, you know, metaverse is just a is just a term that I, I forget exactly who coined it. Um, I think it was you know some famous science fiction writer kind of wrote about that concept, and then it became this sort of blueprint, if you will, for potential real life technologies. And so you know, people now talk about the metaverse, and it, it should just mean things like you know holodecks or transporters or things that you know come from sci-fi type thinking uh you you know there's not a metaverse tm that meta has invented (laughs) as much as they might try to make you think otherwise so i'm talking about just the concept of a metaverse and when i what i mean by that is this sort of pervasive digital virtual reality where what you do matters And when I mean what you do matters, I mean that there's a sense of permanence. There's a sense of accomplishments over time. And, you know, one one thing I I think you could call a proto-metaverse is Minecraft. Uh, You know, my kids and I, like so many families, have our own server servers uh, where we play Minecraft together. And what we do there matters, right? Like if we if we do a whole bunch of stuff there to build a bunch of things, like, you know, build all these buildings and connect things with railroads and and terraform some landscape somewhere and do all this stuff, right? Like we could come back months later and it's still all there. It's it wasn't just some, you know, like temporary thing that is just lost over time or whatever. Like <laughs> You know, we we have these worlds where we can go back to them again and again and again and all gather there and all do things there and and it's saved, just like things in the real world are saved. <laughs> you know, if you if you go into your backyard and move a rock from here to there and you come back the next day, you expect that rock to be where you moved it. You don't expect it to be back where it was before or you know <laughs> you know and and if it is you'd be like hey who's messing with me right um so so this virtual reality where you do things and it matters and it's not sort of predetermined by some sort of linear storyline right cuz like there's other video games where what you do quote unquote matters but only temporary right like like if i start a game in uh, say riven 
<laughs> you know, like I'm playing Riven, uh, my favorite game in the Myst series. Um, what I do there doesn't matter in a metaverse sense because I'm just participating in a storyline. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm switching things on and off. I'm clicking buttons. I'm going from here to there, but it's all part of a storyline and I can reset that storyline at any time and, you know, start all over. And I've done that many, many times. But uh, with a Minecraft server, there, there is no reset. There is no start over unless I literally make a backup of the server and, you know, reboot it again at a later date, <laughs> which is an interesting thing to think about when you think of a metaverse, you know, like the, this idea that you can restart worlds at earlier states. That's obviously something we can't do in real life, but um, that's cheating, right? <laughs> uh, backing up a metaverse and rebooting an earlier state of it is is cheating. Uh, you're not supposed to do that in the sort of classic sense of participating in a virtual world. You know, what you do today matters tomorrow, and history kind of builds up over time. And you know, presumably, it builds up over time through the participation of many people. You know, it's not a, it's not a singular experience. Uh, again, like the Mist games, those are, you know, you, you can play a Mist game with someone else there in the room with you or, you know, even remotely, uh, but you're participating in a linear storyline for a single player. Whereas in a metaverse, whatever is happening there is happening for everyone at the same time. You know, whether one person's in a world or a hundred people are in a world or a thousand people are in a world, it's it's that world. And what anyone does there matters and affects anyone else who's there. Um, so this concept really appeals to me. It's really intriguing. And I've experienced metaverses before, if you will. Uh, Second Life is an early example of this. I spent a lot of time in Second Life uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, and it was exciting because, you know, you could meet people, you could acquire items, you could build stuff, you know, you could have your own land and build things there and meet people there. You could have meetings there. Um, some folks started a church there in Second Life to mirror a church they had in real life. And people would gather there to have a virtual worship service. Like, you know, th this this really was a <laughs> a pretty metaverse -y kind of experience. Um Unfortunately, you know, like so many of these things, uh, lots of technical issues and just various other problems kind of made it so it didn't last all that long as a as a major phenomenon. And I think I, I think we'll keep seeing this cycle, at least for a while yet, of metaverses coming and going and not quite catching on. Uh, it, it just continually seems like the technology is not quite where anyone hopes it could be. Um, but I'm bullish on it in the long term. I, th I think at some point in the future, uh, there will be a, an all-pervasive all digital virtual reality where millions of people participate in, you know, areas in, in the metaverse overall. Um, what we call that and how that gets distributed, I have no idea. But my hope, of course, is that it's an evolution of the web, right? <laughs> My hope is that uh, the metaverse would be built upon open protocols and open specifications, open source software. You know, I, I like the thought that in the future, jaredwhite.com 
could be a place that folks can go to in VR and like, you know, I could actually meet people like, hey, uh, why don't you meet me at jaredwhite.com? And we're like, you know, in in a world hosted at jaredwhite.com. In a world. Uh, <laughs> I think that'd be really cool. Uh, what wouldn't be cool, of course, is like, hey, meet me in meta verse or whatever it is horizons world or whatever that garbage is like no way jose i'm i'm not going to be meeting people and hosting things and building things in you know a glorified facebook that's just ridiculous um but but i do dream of a better metaverse and i don't know maybe uh apple We'll come up with some cool ideas in this space soon. You know, the, the rumors keep flying around that they're working on a VR headset and all this VR software and, you know, meeting spaces for people to collaborate in and all this stuff. And, you know, there's even like some weird rumor of like, you could tell Siri to do this and that, and then it would publish a VR experience on an app store all with your voice. And it was this crazy rumor that I don't really believe, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just very fascinated by this space and I do think some hype is warranted here. Unlike things such as chat GPT and other nonsense, which I'll get to later. Uh, all right. One more link here before we get to that particular topic. Uh, Ki Hui Kwan has of course, uh, made waves as an Academy Award winning actor now, uh, of course, he played uh, Waymond Wang in Everything Everywhere All at Once, Mr. Googly Eyes, uh, multiverse jumping husband <laughs> extraordinaire. Um, yeah, he, he was fabulous in that movie, and it was also a major comeback for him after years of just staying out of the movie industry due to uh, racism. Let's just call it like it is. He... He hadn't been working as an actor in the industry because of racism, and this was a way for him to uh, get back in front of everyone's uh, attention and just did a phenomenal job, and everyone loves Key, and uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to sort of riff off of this idea of ethnic stereotypes and even when people are well-meaning and not intentionally trying to be racist and may even think they're you know celebrating a culture um there can just be really bad cringy moments um and um you know certainly uh, as as someone who's you know quote-unquote white white presenting um you know there there's nothing i can say that you know, can compare with some of the truly terrible experiences uh, people have had of other ethnic backgrounds. Um, but, but believe it or not, I have experienced <laughs> some pretty cringy uh, stereotype sort of uh, things going on because uh, I used to professionally perform Celtic music, uh, Scottish and Irish music, um, which. Uh, folks may not realize uh can really get you into some pretty (laughs) some pretty goofy moments uh just you know all kinds of stuff you know to to the most 
immediate example of people not even saying Celtic, but saying Celtic. I can't tell you how many people would come up to us as we were performing music somewhere and be like, oh, I love Celtic music. And I would just, every fiber of my body would start quivering a bit, just like, it's Celtic. It is not Celtic. It is a hard C because it originally comes from Keltoi, a Greek word spelled with a K. <laughs> so it is not Celtic. You may think that because of the Boston Celtics. No, it is Celtic. Or people would be like, Slainte! No, it's Slancha. <laughs> uh, Edinburgh. No, it's Edinburgh. Uh, things like that. Just, you know, people who aren't in the know aren't going to know this, right? Like, you know, person who has never been to Scotland doesn't really know anything about Scottish culture. You know, how, how can you expect them to know certain things like this? Um, but uh, I just felt like, you know, people would be like at events <laughs> where it's all about Celtic music. It's all about celebrating Irish culture or Scottish culture and just, you know, make lots of faux pas that felt a little bit disrespectful. It's like, you know, you should probably learn a little bit about the culture you're here to celebrate uh, before you, you know, do things like start dancing an Irish jig across the room as you hear the music or whatever. And it's like, (laughs) you don't know how to dance an Irish jig to save your life. What are you doing? Uh, or people would come up to, to us and say, oh, I love that river dance music. You guys are playing river dance music. That's so cool. And I'd be like, what? River dance music isn't a genre. I'm not, a, I'm not of the ethnicity called river dance-ish. <laughs> uh, another issue I'd run into is um, I, I like to wear my hair long all throughout my teenage years. Uh, usually had, you know, ponytail or something like that, or just long hair in general. And I'd often wear a kilt, of course, you know, playing at Scottish festivals and so forth. Um, And due to that, uh, people would regularly misgender me. People would regularly think I was a girl. They would think my brother and I were were the daughters of my parents. Um, A kilt is not a skirt folks, just so you know, a kilt is not a skirt. And I'm not saying that to cast any dispersions on anyone who, you know, intentionally wants to wear a skirt and that's part of their gender expression. That is completely fine. But my point is, you know, I am a man with long hair wearing a kilt. Don't just look at me and assume I'm a girl because I have long hair and I'm wearing what you think looks like a skirt. <laughs> uh, just you know, all these things, right? And and I'm just talking about Scottish and Irish culture. And and I'm you know I'm born and raised here in the United States, so uh, you know I'm. It, it's not even that I'm getting you know like stereotyped because I'm you know, literally from Ireland or Scotland and literally have the Scottish or Irish accent, etc. I'm, I, you know, I was trying to celebrate a culture that, um, you know, we had background in as descendants of Scottish and Irish people and, you know, participating in, in the, the culture of Scottish Americanism and Irish Americanism. Um, 
and you know after a while the the dancing redheaded leprechauns and the kiss me i'm irish t-shirts and stories about drunken irishmen at pubs punching each other and uh, or the the grizzled old scotsman with the impenetrable accent roaming a moor playing the bagpipes so many bagpipes jokes people people watching braveheart <laughs> was starring Mel Gibson and thinking that's somehow an accurate historical depiction of Scottish history. Just, you know, <laughs> the list goes on and on. And and that and that's my experience, you know, being quote unquote white. I can't even imagine what people have to go through who are Asian, who are Indian, who come from, you know, African countries in terms of their heritage. Um you know, just, ah, <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. So, uh, listen, like, we we all get things wrong. I certainly get things wrong. But, you know, I, I, I think in terms of popular culture, at least, you know, popular Western media, movies, etc., um, events, like, we all need to do a really better job of trying to learn a little bit about other cultures, other ethnicities, other demographics, and and really try to honor and respect what they actually are and not just what we imagine they are in some dopey stereotype. Uh, you know, if I see another person all of a sudden fake dance uh, Irish jig all of a sudden because they walk down the street and hear some Irish music or something like <laughs> that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. You know, it, it's it's as cringeworthy and bad if, you know, if somebody, you know, sees that there's like a, you know, Chinese festival being celebrated or something. All of a sudden they like pretend they know Kung Fu or something like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> it's like you don't know Kung Fu. You're just you just saw something in a movie <laughs> and all of a sudden you see a, a, a Chinese cultural celebration or something and you're like, ha ha. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't do that, people. Don't don't just act like, you know, what other cultures are about and sort of you know pretend to do stuff in a sort of like, hey, uh, I'm I'm uh, in on the joke here or whatever you think you're doing, like. Just don't do it. <laughs> Anyways, um, with all that out of the way, our final little bit of discussion here is uh, a series of toots all about generative AI. Uh, I continue my uh, crusade to uh, raise awareness of the dangers of generative AI and how... Uh, not truly revolutionary this all is in my opinion uh, i have no plans truly i don't i have no plans to uh reshape my life around quote-unquote ai uh i am not trying to figure out how my business will remake itself in the age of ai i think that's all total garbage I think businesses right now, by and large, who think they have to rethink everything uh, because of AI, I think it's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, and I'm not alone. <laughs> Other people are saying similar things. Thankfully, um, 
But anyway, uh, to to highlight just a few things I've posted lately at Jared White at ndweb.social. The first one I posted here, I said, we're in the cigarettes are inevitable. Smoking isn't bad for you. Don't listen to those backwards health experts who act like the sky is falling. You have a right to enjoy your tobacco habit. Look at all these cool celebrities who smoke. Be like them, say the tobacco companies. (laughs) Phase of the generative AI hype cycle, <laughs> right? Like we're, we're getting so much noise from the folks that are promoting these tools like chat GPT and, you know, Dolly and things like that, you know, stable diffusion, whatever, uh, all these chat bots, like <laughs> we're getting all this sort of like, it's inevitable. And I, I've commented on that before, that word. I, I hate that word so much. Nothing's inevitable. Absolutely nothing's inevitable. We can make whatever choices we want. We can. <laughs> Cigarettes are inevitable. I mean, they were until they weren't. Now, plenty of people, including myself, have never smoked a cigarette in their lives. And that's perfectly fine. <laughs> AI is the same way. There are plenty of people being born right now, plenty of people who are already alive, people like me, who will choose never to use any of these generative AI tools like ChatGPT, and it's perfectly fine. I, I, I mean, there's there may be if there may be some people out there who are surprised by this, but I have never used ChatGPT. I've never used it. I've never used any of those tools. I intentionally chose not to use any of them, and I will continue to choose not to use any of them, and that's perfectly fine. (laughs) If you need permission not to use those tools, I hereby bless you and give you the permission to not use them. There you go. (laughs) Enjoy your life. Huzzah. Um... Yeah, uh, none of this stuff's inevitable, folks. Uh, don't 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 listen to the people just churning out this hype like there's no tomorrow. Uh, it's it's sheer nonsense. But don't take my word for it. <laughs> uh, somebody who I've really come to appreciate lately is a fellow named Adam Conover. Uh, he has a background in uh, comedy and kind of pontificating on on current events of some form or another. Uh, I didn't really know about him until fairly recently. Uh, he did, I think, a video about Tesla and Elon Musk that was absolutely incredible. <laughs> Speaking of hype cycles and nonsense. But um, yeah, yeah. Look up Adam Conover and his takedown of Elon. It was really quite incredible. He's also made a, a equally excellent video kind of about how uh, just large mega corps are screwing us all over by consolidating and taking over markets and then charging us more for worse service. <laughs> really good stuff. And now he's out with a video essentially saying AI is BS and uh, it, it's really great. And uh, kind of the point he's making, which is a point I'm increasingly trying to make because I think this is lost on people, is we're we're not saying we're we're not hating on AI 
because we think it's this you know scary monstrous thing that's going to take over the world and it's going to be skynet and it's going to be terminator and it's going to be the matrix and all this stuff right that's not what we're saying we're not saying chat gpt is a precursor to armageddon <laughs> we're not saying the apocalypse is nigh what we're saying is these tools just aren't very good and they're going to continue to be not very good and they're not very good in the way that is really quite disruptive to people who are trying to create high quality products and services and art and literature and commerce and commentary, right? <laughs> like you could say in a way, all of these generative AI tools are elaborate bullshit machines. And we're all expected to just believe in this bullshit. And instead we could just choose to call it for what it is, which is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> impressive as a tech demo? Sure. Sure, very impressive. ChatGPT is very impressive as a tech demo. You know, Dolly, Stable Diffusion, these other uh, tools for art, quote unquote. Very impressive demos. But then you try to use it for things in the real world, and you start to realize that, <laughs> like, it's kind of really bad. And not only is it kind of really bad, but it's kind of really unethical. And it's just kind of really flooding our already overtaxed communication systems with all this garbage. Like, thankfully, uh, this this has gotten a lot better lately on Mastodon. And maybe it's because I managed to set up a good filter or something. But for a while, for a little while there... I was all of a sudden seeing like all this generative AI art, quote unquote, like flooding my timeline on Mastodon. And it was just awful because like time after time after time, I'd see a new post that was getting shared. And for a split second, I was like, oh, this looks really cool. You know, some like, I don't know, futuristic cityscape in a cyberpunk style, blah, blah, blah. And like for a moment, I'd be like, oh, this looks cool. And then I'd look a little more closely and I'd be like, something about this feels off. And then I'd look a little bit more, I'd find a hashtag or a comment or a link or something. I'd be like, oh, somebody just stuck in some prompt and this got spit out and, you know, they maybe tweaked it, maybe didn't, and then posted it. And, you know, when you look at it more closely, you realize that, like, there's just crappy artifacts all over the place. <laughs> This is wasting my time. Total waste of my time. <laughs> I, I'm My attention is being taken away from real people, real artists making real art, using technolo technological tools, sure, but ultimately, like, in charge of their art, using real artistic skills. You know, people doing that stuff, that attention is being taken away in favor of this, you know, basically computer-generated BS. And it was just making me so mad. Um, but I, I think maybe that was a fad that died out fairly quickly or something like that. Because, uh, again, like I, I feel like I haven't seen too much of that on my timeline lately. Um, but instead, all I'm seeing is chat GPT. Chat GPT everywhere. And it's just driving me crazy. Chat GPT is going to be in this product. It's going to be in that product. It's going to be in this service, that service. My web hosting company <laughs> can provide you with AI services at this URL to do whatever. 
I don't even know. It's it's just bonkers. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait for this fad to be over. It is so annoying. It is so frustrating. Uh, but um, just to kind of, you know, to conclude the thought I was trying to present earlier, um, you know, uh, someone else on, on Mastodon was, was kind of saying that uh, while they agreed that the whole crypto thing was a fad, they don't think... Uh, GPT is a fad. They don't think generative AI is a fad in the way that crypto is a fad. Um, and I responded by saying that I didn't necessarily feel like I could say that it's a fad like crypto, but it is something I'm upset about. And it really feels like, you know, another case, right? Yet another case of big tech gaslighting us, um, to which they ask, like, you know, what do you mean by that exactly? What, what do you mean by gaslighting? So here's what I said. Here's what I said. The principal danger of generative AI today isn't that it indicates we're on the cusp of AGI, that's artificial general intelligence, um, you know, thus facing a Terminator Matrix-style doomsday. It's that it's in fact quite banal. The doomsday scenario <laughs> is wide-scale replacement of human talent with mediocre, stochastic, hope I'm saying that right, Stochastic parroting for primarily financial reasons alongside a gray goo takedown of the internet by billions of bots feeding each other in an infinite loop and we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. The gaslighting I referred to is generative AI apologists convincing us that these tools are inevitable, Thanos slash Agent Smith style, I suppose, and that we must develop and use these technologies so we can better understand them and or stay ahead of our enemies, China, and that furthermore, businesses and creators must adopt them or risk falling behind in our society, a repeat of the Luddite phenomenon. I think all of that is sheer self-serving nonsense and obscures the real issues. That's my word on generative AI today. If you disagree with me, you, sir or ma'am, are wrong. And you're welcome to uh, to talk about it further with me uh, on Mastodon. <laughs> uh, I'm at Jared White at IndieWeb.Social. Um, and if you have any thoughts on other things we talked about here today, please uh, ping me there as well. Thank you once again for listening to an episode of Fresh Fusion. You can find previous episodes of the show at jaredwhite.com slash podcast and also subscribe to my newsletter, Creator Class, at jaredwhite.com. That's it for today, and until next time, bye-bye.